Hey, good morning, Harvest. How we doing? Um, we are going to be talking about anxiety this morning. Maybe you put that together from the God at Work video. Not exactly like a light summer topic, would you agree? Um, but we are in this series called um, talking about change and how people change. And um, this is an issue that is prevalent in our society. It's something that we don't want to ignore. It's something we want to address. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 6. That's going to be our home text today, Matthew 6. I'm actually going to read from Matthew 6 at the beginning here, um, just from starting in verse 25 through verse 34. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus speaking. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive, or it's just today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So that's our text for this morning. Today's going to be a little different. I'm not just going to go through verse by verse because this topic is big and I have just a few minutes to discuss it. I'm going to be bouncing around through a lot of different scriptures. They're going to be up on the screen. One of the things I was reminded of as it relates to this topic, I am very, very thankful um, for the opportunity and the privilege that we as pastors have to pray for our congregation. I was going through the prayer requests this week, and it's interesting to read them. One of, one of those prayer requests submitted, I think it mentioned individually 20 people that this person was praying for, that they were concerned about, and it gave us the opportunity to pray along with him for these people. Someone else wrote a really long narrative. It would be like getting a super long text message about everything going on in their life. And as I'm reading through it, I'm like, what a great thing that someone would be willing to share in detail to allow us to pray for them. Thank you for sharing your prayer requests with us, letting us pray as well. One of the prayer requests this week did catch my eye. I quote, it says this, pray that the pastors at Harvest have the courage to talk about Pride Month. That one caught my eye. It's interesting. Um, I think we talk about our faith, different worldviews, how our faith contrasts against culture all the time. I think one of the things that you got to be careful about when you're a church living in a broken world is you don't make your thing about what's wrong with everybody else's thing, be that the culture, other churches, whatever. I, I actually think sometimes it takes a lot more courage rather than to talk about what's going on on the waterfront to come into this room and talk to you about what might be going on inside your heart. And, and in this room, um, Many struggle with anxiety. Um, many are crippled by the effects of anxiety. There are seasons where I struggle and have struggled with anxiety. Do you know what makes me anxious? 
preaching on anxiety. Um, But I think it's an important topic. If you're keeping notes, let's jump in for sake of time. Here's the first point. One, as it relates to anxiety, we are losing the war. We are losing the war. Uh, Secular statistics, Christian statistics, any statistic you would like to look at would um, argue that anxiety is a growing problem in our culture. I need to give you a couple definitions just so we don't get confused. Uh, Fear. And again, I read a defined definition of fear is an emotion induced by a perceived threat. Fear is something that you experience if you were to um, have a car pull out in front of you. Immediately, you would respond with fear physically and emotionally. If you hear footsteps approaching from behind, if a bear jumps into your path, whatever it may be, there are certain things that trigger fear. Fear is a protection mechanism. Fear helps us avoid injury or pain. Fear is not the problem. Actually, fear is a God-given protection. I'm going to talk about more of this later, but God tells us, he actually commands us what we are to fear. Fear is not the problem. The problem is many of us fear the wrong things. The, The line between fear and the next word I need to define, anxiety, it's not an exact, it's not a precise line. The the line between anxiety and fear is a little blurry. Reading from an expert, David Barlow, who wrote a book, Anxiety and Its Disorders, he says this, in general, fear is seen as a reaction to a specific observable danger, while anxiety is seen as a diffuse, a a kind of unfocused, objectless, objectless, future-orientated fear. Maybe I can contrast this with the next picture. Put that up on the screen. We got this on our security cameras at our house uh, about two weeks ago. And uh, if you look in the bottom right-hand corner, some of you have noticed uh, we've got a friend on the deck. Uh, We had bird feeders on the deck. Note I say had. Uh, We've had the house for eight years. We've never had a problem. We always were aware that sometimes bears are attracted by bird feeders. Well, eight years in, um, he came up and decided he wanted to decimate our bird feeders. This was taken at 3 a.m. in the morning on just some of our security cameras. Here's what I would say. If that bear was on our deck at 3 p.m., not 3 a.m., and I was sitting at our kitchen table, he's actually standing on his hind legs, front paws against the window that looks on our kitchen table. If he was there when I was sitting at the table, that's fear, okay? (laughs) Anxiety is me seeing that picture on my security camera and saying, I'm not going outside for the rest of summer. (laughs) You kind of see the difference? Oh, by the way, since uh, the beginning of May, we spotted seven bear on the property. We've got a mom and five cubs and our buddy there. So, but I'm, I'm still walking through the woods. Anxiety will not rule, okay? So anxiety is that inner turmoil. It's the fear that grips us. It's something that we can't shake. I thought another helpful explanation is if we know we're not in physical danger, yet we're experiencing physical and emotional responses akin to fear, we can assume that we are experiencing anxiety. So, so how's the battle going? I said we are losing the war. Again, my, my goal is not to bore you with statistics. I'll just give you a couple really quick. 19% of Americans, that's one in five, suffer from, an, this is from the National Institute of Mental Health and Anxiety Disorders. One in five Americans suffer from an anxiety disorder, not anxiety a disorder. It means that you're unable to function kind of in the normal routines of life. 
One out of five Americans, one out of three adolescents struggle with an anxiety disorder. Forbes Health just was written at the end of April this year. Anxiety and disorders, again, disorders are the most common form of mental illness in the U.S. It affects 40 to million people. Mood disorders such as anxiety and depression uh, drive. It's the major cause of hospitalizations in our country under the age of 45 if you remove uh, pregnancy and childbirth. If, if you look a little deeper at anxiety and what we are anxious about, you'll find two kind of categories. One is that we fear loss. We fear that something bad will happen to us or to someone we love. We fear loss of possessions, loss of position, loss of reputation. Secondly, we fear pain, physical pain, emotional pain, the pain of rejection, the fear of failure. I don't think there's any argument we're losing the war on anxiety. Here's a second point. We're paying a heavy price. So, so what's the cost that we pay for being an anxious people, for being an anxious country? Anxiety is a thief. It robs us of our peace, our voice, our joy, our ability to resolve conflict, our willingness to be transparent, to be fully known. I believe at a national level, Anxiety is actually, actually paralyzing us as a country. A guy by the name of Bert Nannis, he wrote a book called Visionary Leadership. In it, he says, and I find this interesting and true, he says, our nation totters on the brink of ruin because leaders, get this, fearful of doing the wrong thing, do nothing. Just an absolute void of leadership because people are anxious about how whatever they do, is going to be perceived. So we're losing the war. We are paying a heavy price. Here's the third thing. As it relates to battling anxiety, our defenses are not working. We talked about being anxious. Well, what are some of the causes? What makes us anxious? Here's one. And, and I want you to hear me clearly on this. Medical or mental illness can make you anxious. It can be a side effect of a medical or mental illness. Medical conditions that cause anxiety. You're not anxious because you found out you're sick. It's the actual the sickness that is actually producing the anxiety. Um, my dad passed away of pancreatic cancer. Pancreatic cancer, when it was discovered in the later stages of his life, my dad became somewhat anxious. He wasn't necessarily an anxious person. It was a side effect of the disease. My mom slid into dementia before she passed away. As she began to experience dementia, she began to hallucinate and become paranoid and was very anxious. It wasn't that she was anxious. The disease was also actually causing, as a side effect, the anxiety. The, the, the interesting thing is it can work the other way. The anxiety can also cause medical conditions. You've got this chicken and the egg thing that is going on. It was interesting. If you look at the physical effects, when we weigh the toll of what anxiety is causing. You can't even weigh the secondary conditions, the physical damage that it's causing. Anxiety can be a, a large contributor to respiratory problems, gastrointestinal disorders, weakened immune system, heart disease, muscle tension, chronic pain, memory loss, weight gain, tension, headaches, sleep disorders. You get it, right? The, these things go back and forth. One can cause the other. I remember when I was a young guy, I was 23 years old. Back in the 80s, I was trading uh, securities at the Chicago Board of Trade. And uh, every day, the price would go up and down. I would make or lose money. Nothing better than going to work and losing money. That's a really wonderful thing, okay? 
But, but every day what I found was if I made money in the first hour standing in the commodities pit, I wanted to get out. I wanted to take the money and run. If I lost money in the first hour, I wanted to get out. Because I started to calculate in my mind, if I continue to lose money at this rate for the next seven hours, it's going to be a really bad day. So, so the way that I survived the stress of being in the trading pit every day was I, I wore a jacket. I wore an orange jacket. Everybody wore their jacket. They had their badge on here. And what I would take with me in my pocket every day was one of these. Bottle of Pepto-Bismol. Now, this is like a dosage cup. Who needs that? Whole bottle every day. I, I would buy these in six packs every week. I like the taste. It's like a strawberry shake to me. I, I would argue it was anxiety that was causing my stomach problems. So there can be medical or mental illness as a cause of anxiety. Don't miss that. Stress in our environment. Stress at work, school, relationships, financial stress, global and political issues. Emotional trauma. The American Psychiatric Association at the end of last year in December of 2022, they asked Americans, how would you feel going into 2023? Shockingly, we set a record level of stress as we entered 2023. Well, what were people anxious about? Here's a list from number one down to number seven or eight. Personal finances, the uncertainty of the coming year, physical health, mental health. Hey, there's nothing better than your anxiety than to be worried about your anxiety. You know, that works well. Relationships with friends and family, job security, romantic relationships. I'll tell you another thing. We, we make choices in our life every day to reduce or increase our stress. And much of our stress can sometimes be self-induced. Would you agree? Um, too busy. Procrastinating. Being lazy and then falling behind and wondering how you're going to get things done. Uh, social media. Fear of missing out. Y you wonder why younger people are more susceptible to anxiety disorders. I think some of it has to do with technology, social media. Here's a third thing, not just stress or medical illness, drug or alcohol abuse. Drugs and alcohol abuse often lead to paranoia. They lead to dread. They lead to guilt. You can get anxious about those things. Past trauma and abuse can for sure create anxiety, things that you carry forward because of what you've experienced in the past. Um, I re I, one of my first memories, um, I'm, I'm a young kid, I'm maybe four or five years old, and, and I have to go to the doctor. Typically, I would go to the doctor with my brother Keith. He's about four years older than me. And we would go for the appointment like preschool year or if one of us was sick. And we would go see our pediatrician. His name was Dr. Benoris in the western suburbs of Chicago. I'm pretty sure he was Russian. In my mind, he was Russian, okay? And, and, and I would just say, like, I don't know all of you. If, if any of you are pediatricians or desire to be pediatricians, two, like, pieces of advice from my experience with Dr. Benoris, don't smoke a cigar throughout the, the appointment with the kid. <laughs> it's just weird to go to your doctor and have him blow cigar smoke in your face. Secondly, pretend you at least like kids. If, if you don't, that's okay. But Benoris would walk in, and he would talk to my mom. Everything would be kind, and then he'd look at me, take a puff of his cigar, and be like, what's wrong with you? That's how our thing would start. And, and his solution to everything was a shot of penicillin. 
Oh, you're running a fever? Hey, have a shot of penicillin. Hey, you broke your arm? We'll put it in the cast and give you a shot of penicillin. Whatever was wrong, you were leaving that room with a shot. There's no doubt. Keith and me figured this out. So at a young age, four or five, my brother would go in first because he was the brave one. And my memory of my brother getting a shot is my mom and two nurses holding him down. Has Dr. Benoris would give him a shot. And it's like, okay, it's your turn. Okay, past trauma. I'm in my 20s. I go to give blood, I'm out. Get a shot, I'm out. Like, this has been something that I struggled with a lot of my adult life. Just kind of irony. By the way, if you're queasy, don't look at the screen. Put up the next slide. I warned you, don't look at the screen, okay? Don't look if you're queasy. So last weekend, my brother shoots me this picture. He's working on his deck. And uh, I would just say that a, a nail gun double fired. So what's interesting is after the second nail fired, my brother didn't know where it went. He didn't feel it go into his hand. So he goes to the doctor. He's got to go into the emergency room. He's dealing with a nail through his thumb. Interesting enough, it didn't hit a bone. It didn't hit an artery. It didn't hit a tendon. It was clear. It was a clear through shot. They pulled it out. He was working on the deck the next day. Okay, in talking to my brother, I'm like, like, how much pain was there? He goes, really, there was no pain from the nail going in. It was just throbbing as my hand began to swell. He goes, the thing that got me was the shots. <laughs> they, they had to numb it before they took it out. That was the worst part. I'm like, there are some things, some traumas that go 50 years, you know? So just saying, past trauma, it can be a thing. How do we treat our anxiety in our country? Well, let me give you some of the ways that we treat it. First of all, there's medication. And I want you to hear me really clearly on this because there's some confusion. I believe that medicines can provide relief to the symptoms caused by anxiety. Some believe it's like, oh, Harvest, you're that church that's against medication. That is not true. I believe if you're dealing with a mental illness, if you're dealing with a physical illness, if you're dealing with addiction recovery, you're dealing with other drugs, sometimes drugs are helpful to get you off addictions. There are many times where the use of prescription medic medicine is, is helpful, it's useful. But in saying that, I also think we must acknowledge that in our country, our use of medications, can I at least say that it is excessive? Put up the next slide. Here's a list of some of the medicines. You would recognize many of the names. They're in parentheses, kind of the, the street name. You would recognize many of those drugs that are given to treat anxiety. There's a second page. Did you just go to it? There's two pages. There's just 30 common medications listed to treat anxiety. I don't have a problem. I'm not shaming any of those medications. I'm just saying if you read the warning labels on any of those 30 medications, what you would find is they all create side effects. And we're often taking multiple medications to treat our anxiety, which means there's a whole nother layer of multiplication of the side effects. And then if you mix those drugs with alcohol and weed and you're self-medicating, like, like the myriad of side effects that can be created through medication should at least alarm us. It does not mean that they don't have their, its place. It does. But we need to be careful as it relates to medication Therapy, coping techniques, drawing out core issues, past traumas, poor patterns of thinking. I think seeing a counselor, a therapist can be very, very helpful in dealing with anxiety. Lifestyle changes can also help with anxiety. Becoming less busy, 
working to make yourself healthier. That same American Psychiatric Association article, which asked people how you're doing as it relates to going into 2023 with your anxiety, they asked people, what are you going to do to bring down your anxiety? And they said they would exercise more, they would meditate, they would see a therapist, they would take a break from social media, they would journal. There's a lot of things that you can do working on your health and your habits and your busyness that can help reduce anxiety. But in all of these articles, in all of this research, in all of these websites designated to anxiety, can, can I suggest potentially something else you should consider if you're finding yourself anxious? Though the cause could be psychological, it could be environmental, it could be medical, can I at least suggest to you that at the root of your anxiety, there is the potential that the core problem is sin. Your sin, sin that has been done to you, that the problem might not just be emotional, it might not just be physical, there might be a spiritual side to your anxiety. Some of you are even offended that I would suggest such a thing. It's not culturally acceptable. You're like, and by the way, by telling me that my anxiety has a sin has root cause of sin or is a spiritual issue, how is that helping? You're only making me more anxious. You're making me feel more guilty. Stay with me. The big idea, if you're keeping notes this week, is this. Sin is sometimes really good news. So you're like, that's a bad big idea. Sin is sometimes really good news. I'm not enjoying the point you're making now. Pastor's going off the rails. Stay with me. Let me, let me break this down for you a little bit. A medical doctor focuses on a physical illness while being fully aware that psychological and lifestyle contributors contribute to physical health. A therapist, a psychiatrist, focuses on mental issues while fully acknowledging that environment and physical medical issues could, contri could contribute to the mental issues that they are dealing with. We treat medical and mental illness Who's considering spiritual illness? Who's considering sin as a core problem or source of our anxiety? Little history. The founding fathers of psychology, some names you'll recognize, names like Sigmund Freud, William Wundt, Young, Pavlov, William James, Alfred Adler. These men were atheists, agnostics, and indifferent towards God to a man. None of them considered the spiritual effects on our mental health. William Wundt, the father of modern psychology, believed that the search for the spiritual nature of man was a complete waste of time. Freud, and I'll quote, I'll put these on the screen. He said, I regard myself as the most dangerous enemy of religion. He said, religion is a universal obsessional neurosis. So when you consider the fathers of psychology and the fathers of psychotherapy, their opinion towards religion and our spiritual nature, don't think that we pick the fight. These men disregard the spiritual nature of man when they're dealing with mental issues, when they're dealing with anxiety. Psychology, all the way back to its founders, has fought against any suggestion that the root cause of any of our issues could be contributed to sin. Yet all we have to do is go to Genesis 3, third chapter in the Bible, and we clearly see that sin can be a cause and often a primary cause of the anxiety we struggle with. Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. They break God's law. They eat a forbidden fruit. And the aftermath of that, I'll just show you this in Genesis 3, verse 8. 
And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden on the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in in the garden and I was afraid. There's that word. It's been introduced into the Bible. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Root cause of the fear, they knew that they had sinned. It hadn't been dealt with. In the New Testament, the most repeated command by Jesus, the imperative that he gives most often is fear not. Do not be anxious. Let not your heart be troubled. When when, when we're kids, we play this game called hide and seek. And if you're the hider and you're hiding behind a bed or in a closet in some room and the seeker enters the room, your anxiety raises. You can feel your heart start to race because you're afraid that you're going to be found. Why would we believe as adults when we're harboring unconfessed hidden sin, when we're living hypocritical lives, we're living with duplicity, why would we believe that those choices that we make as adults are any different than when we used to play hide and seek as the kids? It elevates our anxiety level. You're like, do you have any scripture to back that up? Yeah, I do. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, so if it says, do not be anxious about anything, what are we allowed to be anxious about? Nothing. These are 100% words being used by Paul. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Anything that would make us anxious, anything that stresses us out, everything Let your prayers and supplications with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. Get this. It says, in the peace of God. So what's the opposite of anxiety? Peace. Where does peace come from? It comes from God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Why does the peace of God have to guard our hearts? Because left to ourselves, we will drift to fear and anxiety by nature. It's who we are. Back in the Old Testament, not just Jesus' words in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, he says in Isaiah 41, Fear not, for I am with you. This is the Lord speaking through the prophet. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. For I, the Lord, your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Isaiah 43, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. By the way, my suggesting that sin could be a root cause of your anxiety, that is really good news. If it's a illness, you don't know that if Treatment will help that. If it's sin, we know how to get to the bottom of it. If it's our sin, we can confess it, experience forgiveness. If it's sin done to us, we can work through the bitterness, work towards forgiveness, and be set free. I'm scared that people allow their anxiety and the labels associated with anxiety to define and dictate who they are. Anxiety can be a prison. What's the better news? Someone that can set you free from prison or someone that is helping you cope while you're in prison? I'll take freedom all day. That's why sin has a root course of anxiety, though it's 
offensive at the surface is really good news if we think about it. We can be set free. So, what's a better offensive? I'm going to fire these things at you like a fire hose. You ready? Just write down verses, scribble notes, whatever you have to do. And now as I go to these, please understand I'm not dealing with anxiety that is a result of mental illness or physical illness and some of the other causes. I'm dealing with anxiety that is caused by stress or by sin and how we can better cope as followers of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. Fear the right thing. Fear God. Fear God. Fear's not the problem. We are told throughout Scripture over and over again, fear God. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of of evil. Proverbs 10, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 14, the fear of the Lord, in, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. See, see, you've got a choice. You can either live with anxiety or you can fear the Lord. I would define anxiety loosely. The anxieties that we control because of our sin or because of the stress in our lives. Anxiety is believing that something is stronger than Jesus. It's better to fear the Lord than to fear other things. Jesus will say in the Gospels, why do you fear the things that can't, that can just take your life? Why don't you fear the things that can actually bring eternal condemnation? Like fearing the Lord is actually a healthy thing. I'd rather fear the Lord, somebody who loves me, who has died for me, who has come to redeem me, than the other things that I can choose to fear. When God is magnified, fear is gone. When God is magnified, fear is gone. Here's the second thing. Confess your sin. It's the great thing. We have a a remedy, an anecdote to our anxiety if it's caused by sin. Psalm 32 says this. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the, Lord counts, whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Listen to what David says before he confessed his sin, what he was experiencing. He says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Look at the transition, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What a great way to deal with our anxiety if it's coming because we have hidden sin, duplicity. I'm telling you, if you're finding yourself anxious, consider the source. And if it is sin, great news. Do what God calls you to do. See if that anxiety won't lift. Three, take, I'll let God take your anxiety. I believe anxiety is a lot like the trash in my kitchen. If I don't take it out to the garbage, it's not going to go away by itself. Like I've got to do something with anxiety. Otherwise, it just stays there and it starts to stink. We have to take it somewhere. Wait, why not take it to Jesus? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. When you have burdens... Take them to Jesus. And he says, I will give you rest. First Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Get this, casting all your anxieties on him. Why would you do that? Because he cares for you. 
Why do people write long prayer requests into their journal, into their notes every day? Hopefully because they know that their pastors care for them. Hopefully they know that we're taking their anxieties and concerns with them to the throne of God through prayer. Dependence. We need to live lives that depend on the Lord. It says in Hebrews 13, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? There's a story in 2 Chronicles 20. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but the, the, the gist of it is this. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Multiple nations have come in attacking them at the same time. They are toast. They have no defense. And I want you to listen to way, the way they responded. Here's what their leader said. 2 Chronicles 20, 12. For we are powerless, to get, powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great response. Look up. Like, like the last half of that verse, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This was like our staff verse back in 2013, 14, and 15 when we were exploding in growth and going into new buildings. And like, that's it. We have no idea what we're doing, <laughs> but our eyes are on you. Learn to live dependent lives. Sometimes God puts us into situations where the outcome is completely 100% dependent on him moving. Would you agree? And for some of you, maybe that's a good word for you. You can't fix the situation. You're not going to be able to change that person. The battle is God. God's going to have to do it. Learn to live in dependence towards God. Here's verse 4. Oh, boy, we made it back to Matthew 6. This is exciting, isn't it? Our home text. Know that you were valued. Look at verse 6 or 26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. Then look what he says. Are you not of more value than they? So, so last time I preached, two weeks ago, I, we were at the end of Romans 8. And I don't know if you were here, you might remember, but I said, okay, put your notes away, put your Bible away, final exam. Do you remember? And all of a sudden, you, all of you got anxious, like right there in the moment. But, but in response to that, the final exam from Romans 8 is what do you believe is true? What do you believe is really real? Because Romans 8 declares that God is for me. I'm no longer on trial. I'm forgiven. Nothing will stop God from loving us. Know that you're valued by the creator God. Here's a fifth. Prioritize your pursuits. Verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What's on the throne of your life? Is it pleasure? Is it money? All of these things will eventually fail. And the anxiety when they let you down is real. What's your primary pursuit? When we make Jesus Lord, which is his rightfully, rightful position, we don't make him Lord. We just acknowledge what he really is, right? When he's on the throne of our lives... Anxiety is diminished. And then a practical one to end from verse 33 of Matthew 6. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Prior to as you pursued, I'm sorry, the sixth one is stay current. It says in Matthew 6, 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you believe that? Like, don't we have enough to deal with today without worrying about tomorrow? It's interesting. In Lamentations 3, it says that God's mercies are new 
every morning, great is your faithfulness. I have talked so many times to myself and to other people in this church that when we get anxious, often we're anxious about things in the future. Would you agree? And we're like, how are we going to handle this if the disease progresses and goes this way? How are we going to handle this if our kids make these choices? All the things that stress us out. And we're saying, I don't have the ability to deal with this. Of course you don't, because that's in the future. God's going to give you that grace when you need it. It's like manna. It comes every day. Great is his faithfulness. It's interesting, some stats. We have anxiety about things that will never take place. 60% of our anxiety falls into that category. 30% of our anxiety falls into things that happened in the past that we cannot change. 88% of our anxiety, some have estimated, related to health issues that never happen. I don't know how they get those stats. That's just one of the surveys that I studied. I think that 88% of things that will never happen, that has been on the increase since shows like Dr. Pimple Popper and the like. I digress. Let me close. When God is magnified, fear is gone. If, if, if we're willing to make God our top priority, listen, I'm just a pastor. It's easy for me to preach these things in this room. But is it really true? Does it work? Does the way that we view our world, does our worldview, the way that we view God, understanding that we are loved by putting him on the throne, does that really impact our anxiety? This week, last week, the week before, I've been working on this message. And then my wife sends me a video middle of this week. We're in three minutes, three girls explain how to deal with anxiety better than I can in a whole sermon. Maybe some of you saw this video. It's of the Oklahoma girls softball team. Just so you know the background, they won three national championships. They've gone back to back to back. But three of their players were asked, how do you deal with the anxiety that comes with trying to win your third straight championship when there's a bullseye on your back from every team that plays you? Take a listen. Alex Garbrandt, ESPN, for the players. I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. And um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only, the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. 1,000% agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I went through that my freshman year. I I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the College World Series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled, and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that 
we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world if we do lose. Yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah, um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up. And you guys yeah. see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game, because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for. And that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home. And I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And, yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home. And um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So.